Before we get to episode 176, I'd like to take a moment to ask for your support of the Keystone Chapter of the National Federation of the Blind of Pennsylvania. Go to supportkeystonechapter.org. Scroll down, there's a text field there. It's got $50 in it, but you can change it to any amount you feel comfortable with. Any amount would be greatly appreciated. Again, that's supportkeystonechapter.org. Thank you so much for your help. I really do appreciate it. From Studio B in Swarthmore, this is the I Can't See You podcast with David. It's like blind people for dummies. Hello there, and welcome to episode 176 of the I Can't See You podcast. My name is David, at David Benj on all the socials, including Racket, where I still have only posted once. (laughs) So take a look at Racket, and I will see you over there. Please make sure you connect with me however that is possible. I haven't connected with anybody, so I'm not quite sure how you do that. But give it a look and give it a try and let me know what you think. You can always reach out to me and let me know that you're over there, and I could look for you to follow you as well. Again, 646-926-6350, or you could reach out at ICan'tSeeYouPodcast at gmail.com. Well, I do have a couple of things to talk about today. The main thing is going to be from my follow-up appointment yesterday from my cornea transplant from last week. It was the one-week checkup, and it was quite interesting, not necessarily the appointment itself, but in the waiting room beforehand. Besides that and all the escapades in Center City, Philadelphia yesterday, I also have a couple of stories about alarms, which I'll get to after after the main story. Uh, All are kind of funny. Uh, So yesterday I had my one-week checkup. Technically, it was a week and a day because I had my surgery back on Tuesday the 12th. Yesterday, of course, was 420. (laughs) I won't make any jokes about that. I just, (laughs) they've all been said. I had my appointment. It was great timing for me. It was 9.30 in the morning, so not too early, not too late, which I was appreciative of because my next appointment in about four weeks is at 7.30 in the morning, and I am just really not a morning person. So the timing was right. We were able to leave early enough to run to Wawa so I could get a 24-ounce cup of hot tea, which I love so much, as I've mentioned a million times. We just don't have a good travel mug here that's big enough that I'm comfortable with using, knowing that it wasn't also used for soup or something like that, (laughs) which I can't stand. And that's, even though we have steel tumblers, the tops are plastic and whatever else has been in there It always smells like that, whether it's coffee or soup or whatever. And I'm always leery about drinking that with with tea. Not leery, but I just don't like it. I want to taste and smell tea, not taste tea, but smell tomato soup or whatever might have been in there. Not saying that that was in there, but you know what I mean. So we get down there in plenty of time. We're sitting in the car listening to Henry Winkler talk to Preston and Steve on WMMR. I finish my tea. We walk in. Plenty of time. Everything is going great. We get to the waiting room, and Liz says, it looks like a marathon. And marathon is the way people in the UK say marathon. And I'm not sure where we heard that, uh, but it might have been a Gordon Ramsay show where he said something was going to be a marathon. I don't know. But now we say it that way, and and that's why, just like we say Oregano, uh, for the same reason. People in this country usually don't pronounce it that way. And when I say this country, the United States, is what I'm talking about. So Liz goes and sits down after we check in, and I'm not ready to sit down. As a lot of folks know, I like to stand, especially after we were in the car for a half an hour traveling into the city, and I'm just standing there against the, in the, we're kind of in the corner, 
and there was a double chair together. And I asked Liz, she was in one of the chairs, one of the seats, and I would have had the other one if I wanted to sit, but I didn't want to sit. So I asked her if somebody came over and needed the seat, would they, she be okay if I gave them that seat? And she did not want somebody sitting that close to her. So I said, okay. She said, I'll get up if somebody needs to come over and use the chairs. I don't have any problem standing either. So we're sitting there and, well, she's sitting there, I'm standing there, we're talking about a few things and we're listening to other people. And one thing I always get a little leery about when we're at the doctor's office, when people give their information, I hear it and I remember it. And it always makes me nervous because when somebody asks my information when we're checking in, and fortunately yesterday we didn't need to give any information, they had everything they needed. If I can remember it, other people can remember it. So I'm always leery about that if I if I give the information. Sometimes they ask your phone number. Sometimes they'll ask for your social security number. That's the worst thing. And I remember being at a doctor's office once, and basically they asked for this person's whole life history. It was their name, their address, their phone number, their social security number. I could have left that appointment and gone and become that person. And it always makes me nervous, like I said. So there were a couple of people there, and as we're sitting there or standing there, uh, we're talking, like I said, and finally someone comes over, and it's a person and an aide. It's an older guy and his aide. And it, at the time, I didn't know the aide was there, but Liz gets up from her seat, so he could sit down because he didn't. Liz didn't want to sit next to him, like I said. So... I shift over a little bit further from the seats because we were right in the corner, basically. I move over so we're a little further off the corner, so it gives the people plenty of room, or at least it, it was the guy, gives the guy plenty of room. Now, at this point, I'm on the phone with uh, someone, and the guy comes back over to me, and he said, you can have a seat right there. It's okay. It's okay. You're a blink. You can have a seat. And I said, I'm a What? And he said, again, you're a blink. And again, it's an older guy. Uh, and I, <laughs> I don't usually get offended by, <laughs> by things. And I wasn't offended by that because, of course, I didn't know what it was. So I had to ask him. I said, what's a blink? He said, a blind person. I said, oh, okay. Go ahead. Have a seat. You can have a seat. And I said to him, I said, I appreciate it. It's my eyes that don't work. My legs are fine. I'm good standing. You have a seat. And he went and he sat down. And the person I was on the phone with... <laughs> started laughing. It's another blind person. And she said, that was a good answer. And <laughs> and so Liz and I looked at one another and Liz kind of chuckled. And then we proceeded. I finished my phone call a couple minutes later. And again, we could hear everybody's conversation if they were with anybody. If, if a person came with a person, we heard their conversation. So I, again, I know that when Liz and I talk, other people are listening to our conversation. But I'm listening to this guy. His name was Bill, like I said. I'm listening to him speak, and the aide says to him, you've got to watch your sugars. Your whatever it was, was 9.2, whatever your sugar level is called. And he started laughing. The guy started laughing, Bill. And the aide says to him, that's not funny. That's too high. And again, I, I don't know what the average number is for this is supposed to be. And I don't remember what the, what the actual thing is. But whatever it is, 9.2 is too high. So if you've got something that has to do with diabetes and it's 9.2, you got to go to the doctor. So 
they're talking about that and they're laughing. And again, I don't know how old this guy was. I'm guessing 70s, but I don't know. Maybe a little older. And the the one thing I did notice, and again, my vision is not back to where it was, but one thing I could notice <laughs> was his mask. Now, Philadelphia reinstituted the mask mandate, which, as I probably have mentioned more than once, I am against any kind of mandate. I wear a mask when I go out, not because somebody else tells me to, because I feel it's safe for me. And besides, Liz would kill me. <laughs> so, so I could see he has his mask on. Well, at least it's around his ears, but it's down at his chin. Not covering his nose. That's bad for him. Not covering his mouth. That's bad for everybody else. And I thought, what is he weaving? Why even bother? The mask, if you got a mask mandate, that's to cover your nose and your mouth, not to cover your chin. Nothing's coming out of your chin. So it it was a very eventful waiting time. And they started calling people. And there's more than my doctor in there, obviously. So some people are going back faster. And there's more people for my guy than for this other guy or girl. So they call a guy named David Foster. And I don't think it was that David Foster who did those movie soundtracks back in the day. Liz said it looked like he was pretty young, so I know the David Foster I'm thinking of is not that young. And I'm thinking, okay, great, that's David F. David G should be next. I should be the next David, right? Nope, there was some David with a last name that began with an R, and then a couple other people, and then me. So actually wasn't that bad waiting. So, and and that was the exciting part of this, <laughs> of my appointment yesterday. I mean, the other parts are interesting and good news, but that was the fun part, being called a blink. So I have that going for me now. So I go back and we're back in the room, Liz and I. Liz is able to go back with me, which I was kind of surprised because for the surgery, Liz had to wait out in the waiting area. And so Liz comes back and I have some paperwork to fill out uh, for something that I talked about. I don't remember if I talked about it last week or week before about the business enterprise program and my BBVS account or... I don't know, whatever you want to call it, services, whatever. They need information from me so they can open my case and start to do everything I need to do so I can be part of the business enterprise program. So we're back there with this girl, and I don't know her name, and I I feel bad that I never got her name. Uh, She was very nice, though. She lives in Plymouth Meeting, she told us, because this doctor, like most of them, are in certain spots, certain days. Some days he's at Will's Eye, some days he's down the street uh, at a different office uh, in Center City, and it literally is half a block away on Ninth Street, uh, just across Walnut. Some days he's in the Pagoda Building, which is in Balakinwood, and then there's a couple other days he's in South Jersey and things like that. She turns on the screen where you read the letters, and it's very cool. I was telling my friend Lisa today about this, And it's so much better than it used to be. Uh, And I may have mentioned this last summer when I had an appointment. So to read the letters now, instead of using a projector and then a screen, and sometimes if the room is small, mirrors, and back in the day, the rooms weren't small, they were actually made so, (laughs) so they could make the letters be the right size on the screen. So you read them, you know, the 2400 line is the right size and so forth and so on. So she turns it on and she asks me, can you read that? And I said, you know, it looks like a B 
or maybe a D, but I, if I had to take a guess, I'd say B. And then she goes to the next line, and I said, no, I don't know what that is. So then she gives me the pinholes. She said, we're going to back up and try that first one again, but with the pinholes. And I was telling my friend Lisa today this story. When I was a kid, I used to think those pinholes had different <laughs> prescription lenses in them. And if, if, if you've ever used the pinholes when you're at the eye doctor's or optometrist's office, <laughs> they are literally pinholes. So how they could make a specific prescription for that, I don't know. And so you move it around and you find something where you can try and look through. And I then confirmed that that first one was a B, which I was grateful for because the last time I was at the doctor before the surgery, I couldn't see a finger more than a foot away from my face. So that part was good. She said, okay, let's go to the next line, which I couldn't read earlier without the pinholes. And she said, okay, it's that next line. See what you can do. And I move it around and I said, it kind of looks like an F to me. If you asked me for sure, I would say F, but it could also be this or that. But my first choice would be F. And it was, that was the 2300 line. Now, as I mentioned to my friend Lisa today, the cool thing about this new device that they use is, first of all, it doesn't go from 2400 down to 2200. There's increments in between. And I think it can get even more um, specific by going not just to the hundreds, but I think you can go in between. So you could go from 300 to 250. Now, since I had so much trouble reading the 300 with the pinholes, we didn't go any lower and we didn't go to the 2350 line. And again, I could be wrong there, but I know in the past at one of the other offices, I did read a 2350 line. That's 20 over 350, not 2350. <laughs> so I was, I was surprised that I could read that much. And, and one thing that I've noticed since the surgery while I can't see better distance-wise, and I still struggle to read even things that are large, I have noticed that I can see more detail in things. And I noticed this specifically yesterday when I got out of the shower and I looked at the bathroom walls, which our bathroom walls have tile up to about four feet high the tiles aren't four feet high. They go to the four foot high section on the wall. And then we have paint. And I think the paint is blue. I'm not 100% not sure on that. I think it's a bluish gray, but I'm not 100%. When I looked at the tile, I could see the grout lines. I couldn't make them out clearly, but I could see that previous to the surgery and since the surgery up until yesterday, I looked at the walls and I saw blue and white. I couldn't tell what the white was, whether it was tile or paint or whatever. I knew it was tile because every morning I would feel the tile to see if it's drying out from when I turn the fan on. And so I know obviously that it's tile because it's cool to the touch and I could feel the grout and so forth and so on. So when I saw that, I thought, wow, that's interesting. I could see the grout lines. So then I looked at the mirror and <laughs> same thing. I could kind of make out my face and my body shape. But one thing I did notice, my beard is white, especially at the chin area. <laughs> and I thought, wow, I could really notice that. Now, I knew it was white because the last time I had trimmed it, and I 
was cleaning up the sink, I could feel the hair, but I couldn't really see it because again, it was white and our sink is white. <laughs> so I thought, okay, the surgery must have done something. And I was texting with my friend Harriet later that day and she asked how things were going. And I told her things seemed to be going good. And I said, you know, I'm noticing more details in stuff than prior to the surgery. And I said, I don't notice that I see any better, but I do notice, and I mentioned those two things that I just told you about. And she said, that's exactly how it went for her when she had her last cornea transplant. I don't remember that when I had mine 13 and a half years ago or so. I do remember that I was able to see better after the transplant, but I don't recall the recovery and so forth. And when I was talking to the doctor about it, when he came in after the, the girl had finished up and the doctor came in, I told him that and he said, yes, and the vision will get a little bit better. And like I told you last week, it will take around four months for it all to come back. So I was really happy with that. And the one concern that I had yesterday, and I mentioned this to him, my pressure in my eye was at 14, which was better than the previous week, the day after checkup. It was 16 on the day after. Now, on that day, when I talked to the doctor about it, it was probably due to the air bubble that was in my eye. Now, the air bubble has dissipated, and so hopefully the pressure will come down. I'm hoping that it comes down to 10 or below. For a normal person, their pressure should be in the mid-teens. Mine has always, we've always tried to keep mine between eight and 12 because of all the damage that's already occurred from when you get a pressure spike, it kills off basically parts of the optic nerve. And obviously when you get a pressure spike, it, the outside of the nerve is what takes that brunt because the pressure is coming from the outside. And that's why when you have glaucoma, it's sometimes hard to notice that you have it because your peripheral vision is what goes first. So again, eight and 12 are the numbers that we like. For the last 10 or 15 years, my pressure has been around seven. So it's a little bit low. And when it gets too low, it's also bad because it makes it it's not as easy to see and so forth and so on. And I've had, I've had issues with that as well at times. Everything went well at the appointment other than the pressure. The doctor told me not to worry about the pressure. He said, well, keep an eye on it. As I mentioned, I go back in about a month on the 18th of May, at which time I'll have a stitch removed or two stitches removed. He wasn't quite sure how many were in there. And... I think that's done by a laser, but I'm not 100%. I know one time I've had it, it was done by, he removed it with a laser. Another time there was some kind of crazy device. So I'll let you know, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, the other neat thing that I was a little concerned with going into the appointment was that the one eye drop that he had prescribed that I actually started taking and was directed to take a couple days before, starting before the surgery was this thing, this medicine called Besavance. And it's this really thick drop that after my surgery, when I took it, even if I thought my vision was getting better, after I took that eye drop, it was terrible for half an hour to an hour, sometimes longer from that. It was very, so thick, it just made everything cloudy and almost impossible to see anything. 
And I felt like it had, every time I took it, I was un, basically undoing the surgery. And of course, it cleared up after a while. I was almost out of this drop. So we had called, actually, Liz had gone to CVS to switch it from the Rite Aid to the CVS. It was called into the Rite Aid because the last time I had medicine called in by this doctor, we were using the Rite Aid in Media, which is about five miles away. It was closer to our old house where we lived seven years ago. So that tells you how long I've had a prescription from this doctor. So when we switched the prescription over to the CVS within walking distance to our house, I got a call saying that insurance wouldn't approve it. And I said, oh, is it because we got it too too soon? It wasn't long enough? And she's like, no, they won't approve it at all. And I said, interesting. So I started to get a little concerned by that, but the doctor quickly cleared that up by saying, you don't need to take that anymore. And you won't need to take it until I take that stitch or stitches out next month. And you'll only need it for a day or two. So I'm hoping that there is six drops left. And the doctor said he could probably get us a sample or get me something that would do the same thing and that the insurance company would allow. It, it's just irritating to me about the insurance company. And it's not the first eye drop that I have had to take where they wouldn't allow it. I was on something called restasis and got a letter saying they wouldn't allow that to continue. There's other drops instead. So it, it's just, it's not right. If the doctor orders something and this is what I'm supposed to take, I'm pretty sure that's what I should be taking because that's what he said I should take. And the fact that the insurance company is jumping in and they're not going to cover it uh, you know, what's the, what's the, okay, tell me what I should have. Why don't you diagnose me? So I'm not too worried about that. Again, the, the, the interocular pressure is more concerning with, to me than, than that, because he will either give me a, a little bottle of the Besavance or prescribe something else when he takes that stitch out. The last thing that we had to do while I was at the doctor's, and I'll get into this in a little bit too, was I had some forms to fill out from BBVS so I can be part of the business enterprise program. And as I had mentioned a couple weeks ago, I had called in to get that ball rolling back on the 7th of April. And I figured, you know what, I'm going to see how long it's going to take to get approved. I don't know 100% that I'm going to follow through with it because I don't know where we'll be living, whether we'll still be living here in Swarthmore or someplace in the southern U.S., southeastern U.S., or someplace else. I don't know. Not 100% sure. We don't know where Liz is going to get a job. We don't know where we're going to live, whatever. We don't know. And But I wanted to start the ball rolling. Every time, every minute you wait, obviously, is just delaying it so if Liz ends up getting something around here, and if you're looking for someone, she's she's looking. She'll be done. She'll be done at Walden in a couple of months. I know she'd probably like a couple of months off, but if you've got the right job, I'm sure she'd jump right into it. But you do have to leave some time in September because we may be planning a vacation, which I'm not going to talk about yet. It's not only a vacation; it may be a little bit of uh, scouting for where we're going to live. I'll talk about that more in an upcoming episode. If you have a job for Liz, pitch it to her and <laughs> use those numbers. Give me a call, 646-926-6350. 
and I can get back to you with her email and everything else. I'm following through with this BBVS stuff, and they basically need proof that I'm either legally blind or blind. And as I've mentioned before, it's just called blind to us, legally blind or not. Blind is blind. It's not an all or nothing. It's not an offer on thing. Blind is not offer on. It's a, you can't really see. Some people can't see more than others. Some people can't see anything. Some people can see a little. Some people can see a little bit better. It's just not an offer on thing. And try not to confuse that with offer on. It's not all or nothing, like a lot of people think. So when we were going through the paperwork from BBVS, she noticed all the things that we had to get filled out by the doctor. So we took that into the appointment and we gave it to the girl who originally did all the information, got my pressure and took my what my visual acuity is or was at the time. And she's going to fill it out and then scan it and then either email it or fax it. I asked if they still had actually had a fax machine and they do. Uh, or they were going to email it and, and she was going to put a copy of it to me in the mail. In the meantime, since the 7th of April, I've been contacted by my I think they're called counselors. My counselor's name is Mrs. Lopez. And when she introduced herself on the phone, as soon as she said Lopez, it obviously made me perk up. My great-grandmother's name was Tommaso Lopez. So I immediately wondered if I was related to this girl. (laughs) And uh, if not, I will still call her my cousin because that's what I do when I have somebody that has a last name that is one of the last names in our family. So Hernandez, Lopez, or Goldstein. I know it sounds weird when you say those two words together, but remember Juan Epstein from the Welcome Back Cotter show. I'm not quite that Puerto Rican, and it's actually Cuban. And only one quarter, unlike Juan, which was, I guess, half. Liz goes through the paperwork. We take it in. We give it to the girl. Hopefully, we'll get that back. In the meantime, though, I get this call from this Mrs. Lopez, and she said, okay, uh, I understand you've applied, you want you want to have services and so forth and so on. I said, the only services I really want, I need whatever services I need to get involved in the business enterprise program. She says, oh, that's closed. I said, what do you mean that's closed? I talked to a couple of people on another podcast that said they're looking for more people to get involved in the business enterprise program because the numbers are dwindling in Pennsylvania And there's a lot of opportunity there for blind individuals to own their own business. And because blind folks, their unemployment rate is in the mid-70s, percentage-wise. Not the 3.9% or whatever the general unemployment is. It's around 75% of blind folks are unemployed. Because people don't think blind people can do other jobs or do any jobs. And I said, really, it's closed? I, I said, I'm, I just, I don't understand why they would tell me otherwise. And she went in to tell me that there are people waiting to get further along in the program where they've done their mobility test and skills and their computer skills. And you have to, there's thresholds that you have to pass to get approved to join the business enterprise program. It's not that you can just say, hey, I want to own my own business. You have to prove that you can get around with a white cane. You have to prove that you have some computer acumen and you're able to operate a computer. 
you don't necessarily have to be a techie, but you have to be able to surf the web and and do everything that you need to do to run a business. Again, duh, it's just common sense, but you have to prove to these folks that even if you've never run a business before, you can still operate a computer and get from point A to point B on your own. And I get that. And that's why I wanted to start the ball rolling. I was figuring when I signed up for it and after talking to Pam and Ron on episode 28, I believe, of White Canes Connect, you have to be able to do, and then you get you get involved in the program. And, and the two years that I was figuring, I, I figured it was going to take a while for BBVS to get back to me. And again, BBVS, Bureau of Blindness and Visual Services. And it's different in each state as far as who operates and does all the things for the business enterprise program. But it's something with at a state level, part of the state bureaucracy. And of course, that that's usually... <laughs> That's usually where things slow down or stop. And in this case, they've stopped, which Pam had alluded to in that episode of White Canes Connect. And part of the problem, of course, is COVID. Another issue with the BEP, many of the buildings where you would operate, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, a grab-and-go or a cafe some of the businesses, some of the buildings aren't open yet or completely reopened or they're open, but a majority of the folks are still working from home. And again, these are in state and federal office buildings and things like that. Military bases, obviously those are there. For the folks that have the cafes and the grab and goes, it's been kind of difficult for them. Some have had to close completely. Pam has, has, was one of those. She had to close completely. So she was on unemployment for two years because her business was shut down. Again, with the BEP, you don't have as much control over a business as you would if you were operating your own business. But there are many benefits to it where you don't have to pay rent. You don't have to buy the equipment. None of that is there. So you're basically investing time and so when I was talking to Mrs. Lopez, she was saying, you could do your own business where we would help support you to get things going, and then you could take out SBA loans, which all sounds good, except for the fact the expenses are a much larger multiple than what you would pay if it was part of the BEP. We went back and forth, Mrs. Lopez and I, and she said, if you are insistent on waiting to get into the BEP, I'm going to have to close your case and then we could reopen it once BEP reopens. And I talked to her for a little bit longer and as soon as I hung up with her, I then texted Pam, who is the president of the Pennsylvania Association of Blind Merchants, which as I mentioned before, I am a member of. And I said, I was just told BEP is closed in Pennsylvania and it would most likely be five years until I could get involved and open. It would take a couple of years to get the training and everything to make sure I was up to snuff. And I don't know if I have to do training, if I can show that I can get from point A to point B with my cane, which I'm pretty sure I could. 
And I'm pretty sure I can pass the test on the computer. Again, not 100% sure because I use voiceover and text-to-speech on my Mac. They might require me to use JAWS. JAWS is a Windows-based program. She told me five years. Well, in five years, I'm going to be 62 years old. And I don't know that I'm going to be... <laughs> I'm going to be looking to do that then. And I'm not sure if I'm 62 and Liz is going to be 58 or 59 in that year. She'll be 58 for part of it and 59 for the other part that I'm 62. If she's going to want to be the one to be my employee and dragging me to my different vending locations. And hopefully those vending locations are only one or two because that's all you need With the BEP, you could obviously take more, but if you get a couple of decent vending locations, then you don't need more. And when I say vending locations, they're in the rest areas and rest stops along the interstates in Pennsylvania and other state and federal buildings within within the state. Some of them can have only five machines, Some of them may have 20 machines. So that's what makes it attractive because you don't have to shell out a lot of money to get started. Again, your biggest investment is time. And you don't have to go to a million different spots if you have this vending route. You can go to one or two places. Now, talking to Ron Page, who has two locations along I-81 in central Pennsylvania, he has two places, I don't remember how many machines, but during the summer, he has to fill them twice a week because it's very busy, obviously, in the summer when people are traveling. During the off-season, only once a week. Now, those other times that he's not filling the machines or driving to the machines, and some of them are over an hour away from his house, but he's obviously ordering product and checking the machines uh, remotely, which I think is very cool that you can do that now. Uh, making sure they're operational, and you can check that every day. You can see if everything is there, what's sold out on the machine, things like that, which is a far cry from when we had the video store and we had the soda machines in there, and uh, we also had the little uh, candy and gum machines, not the not the ones with the glass front, but the the ones you used to see in the supermarkets. There were six or eight machines, and you dropped a quarter in, and you got a football helmet or one piece of giant bubble gum or a handful of M&Ms or a handful of Mike and Ikes. And we did well with those in, in the video store. And, and I, as I think I mentioned last time, in a couple of the years that we had all the machines running at, at the video store, we were making about $1,000 a month. Obviously, in the summer, more because people were buying a lot more sodas from them than in the winter. But it was, again, it was a great ancillary product to have in the store or ancillary, I don't know if you would call it product because you're not selling it. You don't, I mean, the soda machines were out front. They, we didn't even have anybody there to have to do anything. And we would service the machines when, during business hours. I would fill them or take the money out. And now, of course, you can have machines that have also take credit cards, which even makes it a little bit more convenient. Obviously, you're paying a fee for that because you've got to have credit card processor, which I'm guessing you lose about 3 to 4% per transaction, depending on who the processor is. So that's why the BEP is 
something that I want to look into. And again, I don't know that I'll ever actually do it, especially if it's going to take five years, I can almost flat out tell you it's not going to happen, for me at least, in Pennsylvania. Maybe another state, who knows. I hung up with Mrs. Lopez, as I said, and I texted Pam, and I didn't expect to hear back from Mrs. Lopez, but I did the very next day. And she said, no, I didn't misspeak, but I did find out that the BEP isn't closed. There are people who have started the process who it is still open for and working for. But it is something that if you wanted to come in now like you do, it's going to be a long time for it to happen for you. And it's while she didn't think it was technically closed, it may as well be because nothing is going to move forward for it for quite a while. And so we'll see what happens with that. I, I was kind of surprised that I got the call back so quickly. Now, one thing that she did tell me also, she was in charge of the BEP in Puerto Rico before she came to Pennsylvania. So that gave her a little bit more credibility in my book, and I'm guessing that's why she told me, because up till then, I didn't really believe what she was saying to be 100% accurate. And again, I don't know for sure. I, it could be me. I could be just just wrong or, or just skeptical for no reason. But one thing that I do know, BBVS and the other agencies that are here to help blind folks, and again, I'm not 100% sure I'm going to use it, but I know there's blind folks out there that want to get involved in this and need to get involved with this because for whatever reason, they can't find a job because nobody will hire them because they're blind. Or... They could find a job, but it's for minimum wage, and they want to do better for themselves. And to not have this available to them, which was stipulated by an act of Congress back in 1936, the Randolph Shepard Act, is just mind-blowing that this can't move forward. And I know a lot of people blame the pandemic for a lot of things. But a blind person, just like a sighted person, has to put food on the table for his family and himself or herself. And if they can't find a job in an economy where there are more jobs out there than job seekers, then what can they do? And so I'm going to follow up on this Pam has told me that she's got a meeting with someone next week to find out more about what the situation is. And again, I don't want to push it like there's no tomorrow because I don't know and I don't really believe that by the time it's ready to go, I will still be here and interested in it. But I did it when I signed up for it because I wanted to see the process so I can report back to you and I can report back to the folks who listen to White Canes Connect to tell them exactly what to expect as they go through it. Now, if it happens within a year, yeah, I might do it. Because it's something, like I said, there's not much money needed up front. When you need the money, you will already be in business and making money. It's not like when you start a normal business. When I started the video store, we needed to have a certain amount of money in the our bank accounts, and we had to buy inventory, and we had to 
pay for the build out of the location that we had. And within two weeks of opening, we had to pay employees their salaries and and their wages. And it's different. This is different. And I would like to see how it runs, even again. And if it happens in a short amount of time, and I don't know if you can count a year as a short amount of time, but if it can happen within a year, maybe even a little more, I'd be interested to go and follow through with it because I, I'm interested to see how it is. Again, I like talking about business and and doing business, and uh, I'm also I'm also interested to see what locations are available in this area because they're usually spread all over the place. So right now, I don't think there's many or any in Delaware County. There might be a couple. So I know there's going to be some travel involved. But again, if we're only going to locations once or twice a week, that little bit of travel time, whether it's an hour or two, would be worth it, Especially again, especially if you're making money. And that's part of the job. It's not like you're commuting to a location to do a job that location is your job. So you're on the clock from the minute you leave the house to the minute you get back, as opposed to leaving your house, going to that job an hour or two away, then punching in, then working. The working part starts the minute you leave. When you're making a delivery, that's when it happens. Just like when we made deliveries with salon supplies and interiors, when Liz and I would take deliveries of beauty supplies to customers, we were loading the car up or in our case, the van or SUV, depending on which vehicle we were using, and then taking the products to our customers. When we were delivering bigger things like shampoo bowls or styling chairs or things like that, same thing. Got to load up. That's part of the, that's, that's all part of your work. Whereas when you're going to a job that's however long away, you're putting yourself in the car and getting in the car and driving to work. Again, the driving part isn't part of work in that instance, to me at least. If you travel that much, maybe to get to your job, maybe I'm wrong. So I'll continue to follow up and let you know what goes on. I'm uh, very curious about it. And again, like I said, very interested if it could happen in a shorter amount of time. Again, To me, time is the most valuable commodity you have. Cash is great, but when you don't make cash or you lose cash, you can always make it back. Once you lose time, it's done. It's not coming back. So we'll see. Now, a couple of other things I mentioned earlier. Alarms. (laughs) Yesterday, as I mentioned, I had that appointment in Philadelphia. And I always get a little thrown off. I have a very normal schedule. And, and you're going to, I heard half of you rolling your eyes when I said that, because I go to sleep at four, I get up at 8.30 every morning, and so forth. So when my wake-up time has to be altered, <laughs> it messes my whole schedule up. I get most of my work done from you know midnight until 3.30 in the morning. When I can concentrate, people aren't texting, people aren't calling so forth. When I have an appointment at 9.30 in Philadelphia, and I know we have to leave at 8.45 to make sure we get there, and then we actually left before that so we could go to Wawa so I can get my tea, and I had a protein bar from at home. That alters the time I have to go to sleep. Now, I went to sleep at 3, 
expecting to wake up at seven, which I know is a half an hour later than I should have gone to sleep because I always try to get four and a half hours. That's my goal every night, four and a half hours. And well, we've had this problem in our house. We have an alarm system, a security system. And we had to put in last summer, actually right around the time that I went to the all blind fantasy football league draft was put in a few days before or a few weeks before, whatever it was. Well, because I can't see the pads that are to arm and disarm the system, they gave me a key fob. Well, the buttons evidently on the key fob are very sensitive. And more than one occasion, I have set the alarm without knowing it, whether I was leaning on my pocket funny or I put something while I was sitting down on top of my lap that then hit one of the buttons. Or more than likely, when I was taking off my jeans at night and I always leave everything in the pockets and then take them out the next morning and put them in whatever pants I'm putting on that day. Only because I don't want to put something down and not know where it is. I know when everything's in my pants, I know to find my jeans or whatever pants I was wearing and get everything out from each individual pocket. So it's happened before and most times it's been caught by Liz, who was the first one outside, usually each morning. She would open the back door to take Ziggy out and notice the alarm panel beeping. The other day, the day yesterday, Wednesday, 420, Jacob was going outside and opened the basement door, heard the beeping, but forgot the, <laughs> the system code. So the alarm went off. And he couldn't remember the code. Liz was in the shower, so it wasn't shut off right away. So the alarm company called me. Now, here's what's troubling to me. The alarm didn't wake me up. My cell phone ringing woke me up. And I was panicked because I usually do take my cell phone out of my pocket and put it on my nightstand because that's also my alarm to wake up. And I'll talk more about that in a second. So... This lady is quizzing me about my code and my passcode and is everything okay? I'm answering yes, like I knew what was going on and just assumed that I mistakenly turned on the alarm and, and that's what was going on. I didn't know if somebody was in the house downstairs. I didn't know, but I said, no, we were good. 10 seconds earlier, I was sleeping, so I don't know that you could trust what I was saying, but fortunately, it, everything was okay and I... I guessed right that day. So that was troubling to me that the alarm didn't wake me up because it's also a fire alarm. So if the house catches fire and I didn't wake up from the alarm, I'm probably doomed unless Liz is home and she hasn't gone to work yet. That leads us to today, Thursday, the 21st of April. As I said, my alarm goes off at 8.30 in the morning. During the cooler months, and it was cool out last night, it was in the mid-30s here, I wake up at 8.30, I take a portable heater into the bathroom to warm it up because it's cold in there. And I usually put the heater on for about a half an hour and then go back in. Usually in that half an hour, I, I don't hit the snooze on the alarm, I just shut it off because I have other alarms set at 9.01 and then a fail-safe is 9.13 in case I don't wake up from the 9.01. So today I wake up at 8.30, take the 
heater into the bathroom, plug it in, turn it on, go to the bathroom, close the door tight, raise the shade in the window uh, of the bathroom because it was sunny out this morning. So the sun comes in and also heats up the bathroom. (laughs) And then go back and get in bed. I shut the 8.30 alarm off, so I was good. I felt confident. I'd wake up in half an hour and get in there and shower and be ready for the day. And then maybe record this podcast instead of, at that time, maybe recorded at one o'clock. I should say at this time, and then I would have recorded at one o'clock because I would have put Ziggy back in. Well, today, whether my 901 alarm was set and my 913 alarm was set, and I shut them off without even realizing it, or there was an issue with the focus, and I'll talk about that in a second, And I actually didn't turn those alarms on. And I thought I had checked them, but again, I was half asleep. Something wakes me up at 12.09 p.m. today. And I believe that what woke me up was a tweet from PA Blind Podcast, which is for White Canes Connect. Before my surgery, I had edited two episodes of White Canes Connect, episode 29 and episode 30. And I scheduled them to drop on Thursday at noon. 29 was last Thursday, 30 was today at noon Eastern. So I believe that's what woke me up today, the being notified that somebody had tweeted about me, and in this case, it was basically me tweeting about me because I'm the one that controls the PA Blind podcast on Twitter. And the only thing that is really tweeted from that account is every time a new episode drops. And it usually takes about 10 minutes for everything to happen once the episode drops to it actually being live where you can find it on your phone or wherever you find it on the internet. And then of course on Twitter as well. So I was shocked at a couple of things that it was 12.09 PM and not 9.09 when me getting up. I was worried about Ziggy because instead of being in the cage for couple of hours after Liz left, he was now in there for five hours and I still had to have a shower. So I'm wondering, I, and I'm in the shower and I'm trying to quickly go through. Now it was difficult because instead of that heater running for half an hour, it was running for three hours and change. And instead of it being a nice temperature in there, it was like a sauna because The sun was shining brightly in there. The heat was on. I actually had to turn the hot water down, and I usually have the hot water on full, and then the cold water is on a few turns. Today, I had the cold water on more than halfway, and I had turned the hot water down to, I believe, around halfway. And so I was finally okay in the shower as far as temperature goes. But when I got out of the shower and I grabbed for my towel, my towel was still really, really warm. Part of that is by the time that I'm grabbing for the towel, it's, I don't know, 1230 or whatever, and the sun is shining on it. So between the heat in there and the towel being warm, I had to open the, the fan, of course, is on in there. I have to open the bathroom door to try and let a little bit of cool air in. When that didn't really work, I had to open the window just to, so I wasn't sweating while I was drying off and brushing my teeth. And here's how hot it was. I put the, the, toothpaste on the toothbrush, which for the first few days after my surgery and I couldn't really see, I was squeezing the toothpaste onto my finger, putting that onto my teeth, smearing it around a little on my, and then using the toothbrush to 
to brush my teeth because I just couldn't see well enough to put it on the, on the toothbrush itself. A couple days after my surgery, maybe last Friday, I was able to see to put it right on there. But you know, when you put the toothpaste on your toothbrush, it's usually, I don't want to say cold, but it's in the bathroom, so it's cooler. I couldn't even tell if I had the toothpaste on my toothbrush. That's how warm it was. So after I started brushing for a couple of minutes, I realized, okay, the toothpaste is on there, and it's just so warm that I couldn't tell that it was there. And I I don't know that I've ever had that happen before, that I couldn't feel the toothpaste, because it's always a little bit cooler than your mouth. So that leads me to believe that (laughs) the bathroom temperature was somewhere in the mid-90s to 100 degrees. And that was crazy. That was just crazy how warm it was in there. So... I don't want to say it threw off my whole day. I know I was definitely stiffer. My fingers, I, I had trouble holding the ta- my towel in my left hand because my ring finger and my pinky were so swollen and stiff. And they, they loosened up a little bit throughout the day. But that's one of the reasons I try not to sleep so long because I am usually so stiff when I wake up after a long stretch that it's, it's just not worth it. Now, otherwise I felt great and I felt more mentally alert than usual. So I guess I needed that sleep. And since I didn't have a, the same amount of sleep as I normally get the day before, and maybe, maybe that's why I just needed it. And it's fine that I got it. I, I didn't miss any appointments or anything. So it's really other than Ziggy being in a little longer than normal. Uh, it wasn't too big of a deal, but they are my alarm stories. Now, I had mentioned the focus. On Monday, I'm going to the University of the Arts. I'm going to check out the projects, the beta versions of the projects the students are working on for their museum uh, accessibility. And I'm looking forward to that. But I was checking my phone before I went to bed to make sure I had the address for the building I'm going to. And as I'm checking previously used addresses, I would touch one and it would say, my home address. And then all of a sudden it would jump and it would say, William H. Gray, 30th Street Station. And I'm like, wait a minute, I didn't touch that. Why is it telling me that? So I was, when you use voiceover, you do a single finger swipe to the right to go from one line to the next line. And so I was doing that and I would, again, my house was first. Uh, Jacob's work was on there when he used to work at Target because on nights where he worked late, where the bus wasn't coming for an hour, I would order an Uber for him. And so I'm swiping through and I go, like I said, my home address, Jacob's old work, William H. Gray, 30th Street Station, a couple other addresses. And then I get to the address that I want for the University of the Arts building. And as I'm holding my phone, a second or two goes by. And then all of a sudden, without me touching anything, it says William H. Gray, 30th Street Station. I'm like, wait a minute, what? So I touch another address. I touch my home address. And it says the address And then a second or two later, it says William H. Gray, 30th Street Station. So I don't know if there's an issue with the phone itself, with voiceover, or in this case, the Uber app. I've noticed that problem before using the alarms, but I thought after one of the upgrades from 15.2 to 15.3, I'm not sure which one. But I noticed that the focus, and that's called focus when it's focused on one item, in this case, the address. In previous versions, again, after version 15, iOS 15, for example, when I would set the alarm, I would listen for 8.30, you know, because I have a whole list of times that I would want to get up. I don't know why I do it that way, but it is. So I, when I need to wake up at earlier times, I already have some time set in there. 
And so I would touch 8.30. And then when sometimes when I would go to double tap for 8.30, because that's how you would select something, the focus would change to a different time. Or I would double tap, and then it would tell me a different time, so I would think it's the wrong time. So I don't know if that happened last night, or again, like I said, I just was so tired, woke up, shut it off, went right back to bed, or right back to sleep. So I don't know. So I, I know for sure now I have the correct alarm set, 8.30, 9.01, 9.13 tomorrow morning. So we'll see what happens. And uh, I'm hoping I have uh, get another good night's sleep because I have been invited on to another podcast. It's called Aaron's Opinion. We're recording tomorrow night, uh, the 22nd of April at 8 o'clock. I don't know when the episode is going to come out, but I will link to the episode once it does drop. I will also link to Aaron's podcasts uh, in the show notes of this episode. Uh, I actually listened to one episode that was very, very entertaining. It was along the lines of the episode that we did of White Cane's Connect with Jimmy Bohm from You Cane Give and Custom Cane. When I was invited on the podcast, I thought, well, you know, let me listen to an episode to see what it's like and so forth and so on. I couldn't stop listening. And, uh, to this one, it's the the episode I'm talking about is Ryan's window, and I'll put a link to that. Uh, there are obviously other other episodes besides that, uh, but I will link to it. I thought it was a very interesting story that this guy had, and again, it was uh, it was just something else. So I will link to that, and again, once I'm on, once the episode that I'm on drops, I will let you know. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. I haven't been on too many other podcasts, handful here and there. That's all I do have for you this week, and it is a lot. I'm looking at the timer here and uh, getting near an hour. And um, so that's it. Hopefully next week we'll be back to normal with just a few stories and not quite as long-winded as today. (laughs) But I do appreciate you listening to episode 176 of the I Can't See You podcast. Please rate and review. And again, if you have any questions, comments, show ideas, I can't see you podcast at gmail.com. I can't see you podcast at gmail.com. Again, there's that phone number. You can leave a message up to three minutes. Please leave your name and town. If you do leave a message, 646-926-6350. Again, 646-926-6350. Show notes for this episode will be at I can't see you.com slash 176. I can't see you. Sounds like a whole sentence. It's only seven characters long. I-C-A-N-T-C-U dot com slash 176. Again, thanks so much for listening. I do appreciate it. Follow me on the socials at David Benj. Stay safe, be well, and I will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the I Can't See You podcast with David. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And don't forget to share the podcast with your friends.